0: This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. All views and opinions expressed are the views and opinions of the individuals and sponsors presenting them and not the LTB
1: network. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, episode 19.
2: On bitcoinaverage.com, a millibit is trading at 65 cents. Well, that's the same as $650 per Bitcoin. Holding steady in the 600s this week. You know, going up a bit last week, going down a bit last week, back up again this week. Things are looking good. What can I say? Let's hope it just keeps going up and up and up and up and up and up and all that. Mm, mm, mm.
1: Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining us today as we podcast from East Nashville, Tennessee. I'm John Barrett.
2: And I'm Lyd Shaw. We're two
1: Bitcoin enthusiasts who love to talk about Bitcoins.
2: And share what we learn with you, the listener. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more from Bitcoins and Gravy. On today's show, Lidge and I get Tokyo on
1: the line to talk with John Southurst. John is a business tech and economic development writer who discovered Bitcoin in early 2012. His work has appeared on Coindesk, in Canadian and Australian newspapers, and UN Development Appeals. Based in Tokyo for a decade, John is a regular at Bitcoin meetups in Japan and likes to write about any topic that straddles technology and world-altering economics. John tells us about the mysteries of Mt. Gox and the bots that aren't talking.
2: We also talk with Marshall Hayner of QuickCoin, the Bitcoin social wallet. Marshall tells us how QuickCoin may just be the easiest way in the world to send Bitcoin to friends and family using Facebook. So easy your grandmother could use it. He also turns us on to the idea of a Bitcoin fair via BitcoinFair.org, a project that sounds both educational and like a whole lot of fun. We are very excited to invite John Southurst, the Coindesk Tokyo correspondent or Asian correspondent. John, I recently found an article of yours on Coindesk called A Bot Called Willie, and it was about some pretty fascinating stuff about trading bots and what was going on in late 2013.
1: Lidge first told me about this, and I thought he was talking about Boxcar Willie, the old guy that traveled (laughs) on on the trains around the country singing songs. And I thought, well, I don't think that's appropriate for the show, Lidge, but he convinced me that it was not Boxcar Willie.
3: Yeah, I, I wonder if a lot of the attention that story got was because of the uh, the cute names that the, uh, the analyst gave the bots, Willie and Marcus.
2: I love it. Willie and Marcus. Well, <laughs> yeah. John, welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy. We're very pleased to have you here. You're calling in from across the world. You're in Tokyo,
3: correct? That's right, yes.
1: Yeah, welcome to the show, and thanks for staying up so late. What's it, 2 a.m. there?
3: Yep, yep, just after 2 a.m., wow. and it's very dark and very quiet around here. <laughs>
2: I'll bet. <laughs> nice. Well, John, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and your background.
3: Right. Well, I'm actually not very interesting because I'm just a reporter, <laughs> just a writer. I don't have any huge Bitcoin holding. I wasn't into mining or anything like that. I, um, I actually came into Bitcoin a couple of years ago, but uh, didn't buy any at the time. So, very foolishly, I... Um, Yeah, didn't really get into it until the price had already started to go up.
1: Yeah, we've heard the story many times before, (laughs) and Lidge and I have our own uh, regrets.
2: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Too bad, especially with what was coming up around the corner with Willie and Marcus,
3: which you'll tell us about here shortly. That's right. Yeah, I don't have uh, anywhere near as many regrets as some of the people who had their large holdings on Mount Goxler.
1: Yeah, that's pretty sad stuff. And John, you said that you're a reporter, nothing special, but uh, you know, according to you. But let me ask you: Are you a free reporter, or are you one of those reporters who you know is called to do the bidding of some major network, and you don't have the Ability to free think. Which one are you?
3: As far as I know, we're all free.
2: Oh, nice. So you're free thinking?
3: Yes. I like that. If right? I'm in someone's pocket, they're not paying me enough.
2: <laughs> decentralized reporting.
3: Nice. That's right, yeah. Coindesk has a very decentralized team. There's a core group of about, I think, five people in London, and everyone else works uh, in various locations around the world. Nice. Yeah, we love Coindesk.
2: Indeed. It was also easy to contact you after reading the article, which I thought was really... Right. You know, yeah. It was a great feature.
3: I have to stress, the article we did is not actually my own original research. It was taken from a, a WordPress site, which someone put up. It was called the Willie Report. And the analyst is not named. I suspect it's uh, one of the big time traders from the time.
2: An anonymous Willie Report. Yeah.
3: Well, no worries there. That anonymous writer is the one who coined the terms uh, Willie and Marcus as well. I see.
2: Okay. We'll give a public shout out and thank you to the anonymous writer for coming up with such creative titles.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit unusual because the, um, the site went up there, uh, I think last week. And then uh, during the week sometime, it actually disappeared from WordPress.com with a message up there saying that it was uh, in violation of the terms of service.
2: Interesting. Hmm.
3: Yeah, it stayed that way for a few days, and then I just noticed that it's up live again now.
2: Well, I guess that's what happens when you post on a centralized server. Yes,
3: exactly. Mm, Interesting. Anyone can go and check out this for themselves. It's called uh, willyreport.wordpress.com.
2: And now, are you from the UK? Are you from Australia? Or where are you from?
3: I came to Japan about uh, 10 years ago, and I came via Canada. And uh, I'm originally from Australia. Australia.
2: From Australia. Okay, great. Well, I was going to ask, based on this name, The Willy Report, did they have to give The Willie Report a different name in the UK like they did Free Willy the movie because it was making people <laughs> crack up in the theaters? <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I, I think we need uh, anything we can get our hands on to make this guck story a little bit less tragic. And I think the, you know, right, the cute right. name probably helps that.
1: Anything to keep us smiling at that point. Yeah, a lot of people lost yes. a lot of money. We can laugh at it. And I'm sure some of the people mm-hmm. that lost some money can laugh at it. But I know that there are people still waiting in line hoping to get that money. And I know... I would be too if that had happened to me. Um, I was lucky I had a little bit in Mt. Gox and I pulled out uh, well, probably about a year before the proverbial sh** hit the fan. Yeah, that was lucky.
3: Unfortunately for us here in Japan, it was the easiest exchange to use because they were the only exchange that would verify you know, uh, Japanese documents without us having to get them officially notarized and translated. Almost every other exchange around the world, you have to go through a process.
2: Well, before we get too deep into Mt. Gox and pulling out, can you explain to us what the uh, the Willy Report is? What is that about?
3: It's the culmination of some observations some hardcore traders made around the time and it's based on the trading data that was leaked shortly after gox went offline in february that data covers all the trades made on mount gox from the time it began i think or maybe from about 2011 but it ends in november last year if you remember november last year is when the price of bitcoin suddenly started to uh, rocket up
2: yeah to the moon
3: yep that's right right after the uh, the silk road fiasco yep And uh, just before the Chinese central bank started making their threats against Bitcoin, which some people say drove the price back down again. Yep. Right, right. Yeah. So what these traders observed is just some unusual behavior by a couple of account holders. In fact, they um, they actually changed their account numbers quite a bit. But um, even those were a little bit unusual. The uh, the numbers are a bit out of sync with the rest of the real accounts that were there. And Willie was a regular trader, bought about 10 or 20 bitcoins every five or 10 minutes and would then shut down its account and open a new one and repeat the process. This went on for some time, most active between July and November last year. The behavior was was observed casually and by the charts by traders after that so maybe into january but Yeah, it was around November that it was most active.
2: It takes a keen eye to notice something like that. You know, you need a trader on the inside who understands how to read those charts. I went to the Willie Report website and took a look at it, and it was just this endless chart of trades that I could barely understand that just reminded me of uh, Jack Nicholas in The Shining. You know, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, repeated over and over and over again.
1: That's
3: a scary scene in the movie, man.
2: Yeah. (laughs)
3: I'm still afraid of it. You definitely need to read that page a couple of times before it starts to make sense, if you're a layman, that is, and I am. Okay, so
1: they saw these trades that Willie was making, and what did they determine?
3: All in all, Willie bought about uh, 270,000 Bitcoins and spent roughly $112 million. A
2: staggering amount.
3: There's no record of Willie ever withdrawing money from Mt. Gox. Wow. And I think most unusually, where it usually has the region code for verified accounts on Mt. Gox, Willie had just uh, two question marks, which was, unique among any traders there especially Mm -hmm. such a big volume one yeah wow
2: that's pretty remarkable so we have this mysterious character purchasing 112 million dollars of bitcoin and nobody knows where they're from
3: that's right always at the market price too
2: and now this was the trading that was happening on mount gox which to remind our listeners is essentially a centralized internal server so those trades theoretically could have happened without any bitcoins to back them up or without any usd currency to back them up is that correct would we agree on that?
3: That's definitely a possibility, yeah. I
1: don't understand that. The Bitcoins were purchased, you said, right? Well, the records show that they were purchased. Got it, okay. Right. So you're saying internally they could have been purchased, but without actually putting out any money?
2: Yeah, I'm just speculating, theorizing, pure hyperbole that, you know, if there was anything nefarious going on internally, it could right. have just been, you know, fake numbers and transactions going on.
1: Right, you're not pointing yeah. a finger at Mark Carpelle just because he's puffy and dishonest looking, right? <laughs> no. Okay, just want to make sure, man, because that's that's
3: not what we do here. Yeah, I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. Here and in fact, um, it's probably important to note that no one knows what happened Sure, sure. One or two people know, but they're not talking.
2: As you pointed out, this is in an anonymous report, so this is not even your theory.
1: Exactly. You know, I was saying that tongue in cheek because I actually do point fingers at people. You know, it's right? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't always, you know, get a great response for doing that, but I do point fingers at people. So um, that's Willie, and then who was the other one? What was the other one?
3: The other one um, has been dubbed Marcus, and similar but different behavior. I think. Yeah, they they estimate the Marcus account, bought around 300,000 bitcoins. Wow. The odd thing about Marcus was that he paid completely random prices. If you see a chart of the trades, it looks like a glitch because um, the prices are just all over the place. They're nowhere near the market rate. And it would seem unlikely that someone was actually selling bitcoins for such a low price and then, you know, selling them at twice the market rate Hmm. a few hours later.
2: Yet those transactions
3: did go through. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, on paper. On paper, right, they did. Right. I'm not really sure what the purpose of the Marcus, so-called Marcus spot was. He also paid zero fees. The Willie accounts always paid the correct fees and paid market prices. But the uh, Marcus accounts were a bit different in that they uh, never paid fees at all. How did the Marcus entity get out of paying the fees? That's a good question. Right.
2: So we've got these two strange cartoon characters, Willie and Marcus, that are on there. Kind of a good cop, bad cop pair you know, bots trading some going by the rules and some not. Yeah, yeah, the plot
3: thickens here. Okay, so go ahead. Let's let's hear more. The analyst who wrote the report thinks that these, um, well, assumes these accounts were just manipulating the price, serving, especially the Willy one, serving to uh, pump up the price. And especially since it was most active around November last year, which is when the price started to escalate. Others have disagreed. There's a fairly heated debate on Reddit about it. And with some people saying that even with 300,000 Bitcoins and 270,000 Bitcoins, that wasn't enough to really influence the price, especially when there were other things happening at the time. You know, like Chinese exchanges had really low or zero fees, which just allowed some pretty rampant speculation on the price. Okay. And that's where a lot of the volumes were happening. Well,
2: it's pretty fascinating stuff. I mean, what, 500, half million Bitcoins being traded. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people are saying that still wasn't enough to affect the price drastically. That would speak volumes for, literally, for the Bitcoin trade. The person on.
3: who wrote the Willie Report seems pretty convinced that the sole purpose, or the sole reason that the price was going up around that time. Right. So that's something that's still debated, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's definitely the opinion of the report author that it was, trading activity on Mount Gox that drove up the price. Not China, not Silk Road.
2: Yeah, and it sounds like a safe question, uh, an intelligent question to be asking. You know, pretty remarkable yeah. possibility.
1: Right, so the next question I have to ask is, Willie and Marcus, did they have anything to do with people's funds disappearing?
3: Yeah, again, and you know, it's all speculation, but uh, some some people think that they did, yeah. Mm-hmm. What happened is the logs only go until November, and Gox shut down in February, so there's no actual record of what happened after November. Right. Just what traders have observed, you know, just by looking at the charts. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay, so what sort of ramification does this have for the price of Bitcoin today? Or, you know, what has happened post Mt. Gox?
3: Yeah, that's a good question, too. Uh, Do you have any opinion on that
1: one? Yeah, I do. You know, it seems to me that whether or not, now let's just say that Willie and Marcus and their trading actions actually were bringing up the price of Bitcoin. So that on one hand, could be a good thing. In other words, the whole world started looking at Mount Gox, right? Mt. Gox was leading the way as far as the prices. They had higher prices than anybody else. Yeah, there, there are a lot of things that are discussed there in terms of arbitrage and was Mark Carpelli's and other people within, were they taking advantage of that? And there was that why they were doing it? Because they had Japanese bank accounts and they could easily liquidate their Bitcoins into, you know, through their Japanese bank accounts and back and forth. That was like one of the greatest arbitrage opportunities that we've ever heard of, right? That's right. Yeah. The greatest when it comes. To- to bitcoin right but you know maybe let's just say that lots of bad things did happen based on what willie and marcus did still that in a sense it it kind of put mount gox and bitcoin on the map if these prices were getting higher and higher and everybody was looking at it and everybody was getting excited so even though they might have done something really bad they also might have served to do something good for bitcoin just to get more attention on it just a thought
3: yeah
2: and then there's a possibility that these were all legitimate trades. They were just being traded by somebody who was a bit of a whale in the Bitcoin world.
3: Is that a possibility? The analyst also leaves open the possibility that it was uh, an outside hacker exploiting some kind of bug in the system as well. Right. True enough. Um, the fact that there's no record of any withdrawals to you know US dollars or Japanese yen or euro, that makes him suspect that it, uh, it wasn't an outside job.
1: So what does that exactly mean? There were no withdrawals. Does that mean that basically when Mt. Gox shut down, those monies were still... There within Mount Gox,
3: right? Yeah, and the final balance showed on those accounts show almost nothing in there. I, I think see. Willie had a balance of zero, and uh, Marcus had about you know, 20 bitcoins or something like that.
2: So I'm a little confused. That would imply that they did not withdraw money, or that would imply that they withdrew everything?
3: Could be either. Interesting, interesting. Or if they did withdraw everything, then it was done outside of the system or outside of the official records.
1: Is it possible that these are just numbers that we're seeing that uh, don't really reflect what actually happened on the blockchain, or are we... You know, are we talking blockchain
3: facts here, you know?
2: Yeah, has it been verified by the blockchain?
3: Well, I think all trading on Mt. Gox was off blockchain. Right, right. That's the problem.
2: <laughs> well, so John, what was your thought when you discovered this stuff and started writing about it? What struck you as the most remarkable about this?
3: What was remarkable was that it uh, didn't really surprise me much. Hmm. We've heard allegations like this made about many of the Chinese exchanges as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that they, uh, they don't really have the volumes that they say they do and that they, they pump it up with just automated trading. Mm-hmm. As some people say... As as long as the market has liquidity and as long as people can, you know, buy and sell at the market rate, then it probably doesn't really matter if there's a bots inflating the volume. Right. The important thing is that people are able to use the exchange and you know, buy what they consider is a fair price.
1: Right, so in your investigation of this, was there any information that had a trail leading back to anybody there, any human being there at Mount Gox, Mark Carpellis, or anybody else that he worked with or that worked under him?
3: No, nothing definite. I see. Yeah, it's been said many times before that uh, Mark Carpellis is the only person who had access to the inner workings of Mount Gox. Even people who worked there were not allowed to see the code, hmm. and that he had the final say before anything was committed.
1: That sneaky little rat. <laughs>
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, again I I don't know the guy so I uh, don't really want to get into that kind of thing. We also don't have the First Amendment where I live, so.
1: Right, right. Well, no, I mean, I know the guy personally. He was over last week to the house at dinner with the wife and I, and the guy stole a bottle of wine from me. I couldn't (laughs) believe it. You let him go? He's walking out the front door with it in his pants. I didn't know what to say.
2: Well, so John, in your research, did uh, did you come across anything that might be good advice for listeners, how this might affect what's happening next or what kind of things they might be looking out for to be operating safely in the bitcoin world or in the trading world
3: i think the whole gox fiasco is um has made people demand more from exchanges i think in future we're going to have things like uh, multi-sig accounts yeah you know like blockchain.info has now mm-hmm. you, know, you always have access to your private keys and even if their site goes offline, you still have full access to everything you have there. Now,
1: right. did
2: you say if their site goes offline or if their site goes offline? <laughs>
1: <laughs> if their site goes offline, he said site goes, Lidge, site goes offline. <laughs> I think it applies. Well, I'll that, that info, good. pretty normal guys from what I can tell.
2: Yeah, no, 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 I, I wasn't implying them.
1: So, hey, you know, I love talking to a writer and John, I would love to hear about some of the other things that you're investigating and that you're writing about. What are some other things that are coming up here in the Bitcoin world that we have to look forward to, some brighter side of things? maybe?
3: Uh, I'm probably a little bit biased because I live in Asia, but um, I'm really fascinated by China. Okay. How so? Maybe not so much the exchanges, but there's a lot of mining activity happening there. We just put up a story yesterday that estimates about 50% of the world's hashing power is in uh, is in the Shenzhen region. Wow.
2: Man. How does that affect the 51% attack? Oh,
1: that's a good question. And also a follow-up to that question. Do you know anything about what these mining operations look like? Are they underground and cooled with liquid nitrogen and all of these high-tech James Bond things? Do you know anything about that?
3: I haven't been over to check it out myself yet, but a couple of other people had, and they said it was a real eye-opener. I think it's just in a factory office building.
2: Yeah, come on, John. You know they're cooled with green tea ice cream over there. Green tea ice cream. Wow.
3: Now that would
1: be cool. And Saki, so what about the 51% that Lidge just asked about?
3: Well, they're not all being done by the same people. I mean, that's 50% total. There was a big miners meeting in, uh, in Shenzhen last week. Okay. That we just covered the other day as well. And one of our friends over in Shenzhen was actually at the meeting. And uh, yeah, they were quite fascinated by it. Because not only are they not working together, but there's also some pretty fierce rivalries. I see. interesting Between them, maybe they have about 30 to 50% of all the hashing power in the world, but that doesn't mean they're working together. I see. Any good not stories
2: yet. about the fierce rivalries?
3: No, no, actually, I haven't even met most of the guys.
2: No throwing stars at the meetup or anything like that? <laughs> High kicks or anything? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I did have a chat to some of them when I was in uh, Beijing for the the coin summit they had there recently.
1: I've read that it really does benefit any of these mining pools to not get too close to 51%, right? And when you see another pool getting too close to that, people within that pool can move over. And that's something that I think they've been encouraging. The dev team here in the United States has been, well, worldwide, they've been encouraging people, hey, when you see a pool that's getting too much power, move out of that pool and go to another pool and let's stay away from that. You know, my fear would be, I guess, to rival, you know, Chinese mining gangs getting together and pooling their resources and you know I can picture something like the like the godfather they get together in a big room and they decide okay we're gonna do this fellas I don't know I don't know scary stuff
3: I wonder sometimes if the whole you know notion of the fifty-one percent attack is a bit overblown because if you were able to exploit such a thing, you know you'd only be able to do it for a very short time, right? And uh, the value of Bitcoin would just plummet. Right. So it's probably more of a risk with more you know the old coins that, yep. that don't have as much value. It's a good point. Good point. Yeah,
2: I mean my understanding of the fifty-one percent rule is that it would allow you to double spend, but you can only double yeah. spend what you've got, and you can only do it for a brief amount of time, right?
3: Right. Yeah, and it have to be a pretty big purchase, right? Just to make it worthwhile because you wouldn't be. Able to do it
1: again. Right. And then, like you said, the price of Bitcoin would plummet and that would not benefit any of those people. So yeah, it's pretty unlikely. I know Andreas Antonopoulos talks about that as being just highly improbable.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Sort of a non-issue.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so too.
2: Well, John, it's been a pleasure to have you here on the show with us at Bitcoins and Gravy and we're very excited to have a direct line to the asian coindesk correspondent over there so we look forward to hearing more things in bitcoin in asia from you and talking to you again on the show if you'd like to join us
3: sure well i, I hope we actually have some interesting stories for you i've certainly got my eye on the regions
2: oh good yeah we'd
1: love to have you back and uh, i guess anytime that you feel like you have a pressing story or anything that's really newsworthy at the time please contact us and we'll get you back on the show
2: yeah we'll do thank you for bringing a bot called willie on here we're, we're excited to have a direct line to a, a reporter called john
3: i hope that made a little bit more sense than it did when we first read the report sure did thank you man that was great
2: well cheers thanks john and we'll we look forward to talking to you soon and uh, get some sleep in tokyo yeah
3: thanks a
2: lot oh yeah yeah and can you
3: tell our listeners how they can find you just go to coindesk.com
2: okay okay and uh, do you have a twitter handle you'd like them to follow or anything like that
3: my twitter handle is called uh, Southtopia.
2: Southtopia.
3: Southtopia. yes i know it's uh, easier to write than it is to say
2: Well, John, thank you again for joining us and staying up so late, and we hope you get some sleep now halfway across the world.
3: No, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot, guys. Great. Thanks, John. Cheers. See you guys later. All right. Bye.
1: I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lyd Shaw. We're two guys from East Nashville, Tennessee, who love talking about Bitcoin. Join us for Bitcoins and Gravy right here as we talk with business owners around the country and around the world who are using Bitcoins right now to grow their
2: businesses. We interview Bitcoin experts about cutting edge developments, the future of Bitcoin, the currency and Bitcoin, the shared network. We also talk with everyday folks who use Bitcoins instead of money for everyday purchases.
1: And if you're still not sure about Bitcoins, we can help. Bitcoins and gravy will get you up to speed with this new fast paced technology bitcoin we invite you the listener to call us on the bitcoins and gravy hotline at 615-208-5198 with your questions or comments about bitcoin
2: and remember to tune in right here for bitcoins and gravy Mm -mm -mm.
1: now that's gravy And from our SoundCloud comments, Adia Air comments on Amagi Metals, Stephen McCaskill's call to replace the word awesome with the word crypto. Adia writes, I'll take crypto over awesome, just anything but awesome. Adia, I completely agree with you. The word awesome is so overused that people are now using it as a replacement for thank you and other short sentences that I still find important. So I'm sitting in a local dive the other day and I watched the waitress bring a cup of coffee to this guy who's sitting there working on his laptop and just to give you the full picture, the guy's sporting a big woodsman's beard. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Anyway, she sets the cup of coffee down and instead of the guy saying thank you, he says awesome. Right, think about that. All I can say is this, and I mean it from the depths of my heart. Fee-fi-fum-fo, get yourself some manners, bro. Anyway, Adia, thank you so much for your crypto comment. And friends, remember, the new word is crypto. Let's practice now by using it in the sentence. Man, that bitcoins and gravy is totally crypto. Also from SoundCloud, R11SE writes in, I can't wait to get my music on the BitShares music. This is an exciting idea. Um, R11SE, I agree. This is exciting. But Lidge, you're the music guru here in Nashville. Do you want to
2: comment on that? I think it sounds awesome. I mean crypto. But seriously, I've worked with so many musicians and artists that are independent. The days of record labels that can provide for the smaller artists are pretty much gone. And so artists now have to find new ways to raise funds. While crowdfunding platforms are a great way to get started and engage fans, they are essentially a pre-sale storefront. What BitShare's Music hopes to do is offer fans a way to contribute more as an investor in their favorite artist. If the band does well, then the fan does well. It promises to be a win-win for everyone. I think it's a pretty exciting concept, and we'll have to see how it turns out.
1: And now, a Bitcoins and Gravy contest update. So far, Lidge and I have received some great video submissions for the contest, but we want more. It's very easy to enter our contest. Just go to YouTube and check out the official Bitcoin song, Ode to Satoshi. Then get a friend to videotape you doing a karaoke number or playing along with or dancing along with or doing something entertaining along with the song. We're going to put all of these great performances into our music video that we are in the process of making. And the one that Lidge and I love the best is going to win the grand prize, which is 0.25 bitcoins. That's one quarter of a bitcoin. That's 250 millibitcoins that you can win by submitting your video today. Submitting your video is easy. Just take your video, load it to YouTube, and let us know where to find it. Hey, y'all, what could be easier than that? So get your video submissions in today to Bitcoins and Gravy for a chance to win... 250 millibit coins.
2: Okay, John, here's another pretty special email from uh, Captain Kirk, no less. This is from Kirk Phillips with Invisibiz.biz. He says, Howdy, y'all. Great show. I just started tuning in over the last couple of weeks. Your latest episode caught my attention regarding the CoinCPA.com interview. I've already found them a couple of weeks ago, but your interview also prompted me to contact Alan there. Number one, I was intrigued by your comment about a CPA grabbing the Bitcoin space as the go-to CPA. I want to be that CPA, and I was compelled to reach out and share this. Number two, I started down the Bitcoin rabbit hole at the beginning of the year when I started writing a book called The Ultimate Bitcoin Business Guide for Entrepreneurs and Small Businesses. My BHAG goal is to influence one million business owners by helping them to start benefiting from Bitcoin via the book, Bitcoin consulting, etc. I am a obsessed with Bitcoin, and I'm not sure if I have ever been so excited about anything more than this in my entire life. Thanks for listening. Kirk out. And then later, he says, it pays to be proactive in a Bitcoin universe moving at the speed of light. I connected with the CoinCPA.com team, and I am now the advisor on their platform. In that podcast, your mention of an opportunity for a CPA to reach out and grab the space as the Bitcoin CPA, coupled with my previous ideas for the same, has inspired me to take action and brand myself as the Bitcoin CPA. In closing, thank you for that extra piece of inspiration that led me to take the action. Kirk out. Kirk, thanks so much. And what an inspiring story. Connecting listeners and guests is our goal on Bitcoins and Gravy. So it's very encouraging to hear from you like this. Here's to you. And it sounds like you got a great head start, Captain Kirk. Beam us all up because we're going where no Bitcoin has ever gone
0: before.
1: Today on the show, Lidge and I welcome Marshall Hayner, the
2: co-founder of QuickCoin. Marshall, welcome to the show. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, Marshall. Glad to have you here with us.
0: Thanks for having me on, guys. And
1: you're also the co-founder of something else.
0: What was that? The Bitcoin Fair. We did our first fair in February in San Francisco, and the idea behind it was basically just getting a bunch of people out and having a lot of fun with Bitcoin, doing something different where we're... We're coming in. It's not just all a bunch of Bitcoin people, but regular people coming out, too, and experiencing Bitcoin, seeing some live music, having some drinks, local businesses coming out and showcasing what they have to sell and what kind of services they offer for Bitcoin pretty much just getting the whole family involved and doing something different than what we're used to.
2: Yeah, that's very cool. Now, the local businesses that are coming out, are they ones that are already understanding Bitcoin and they're already accepting it and now they're showing their support of the community? Or are you able to get new businesses to come out and introduce them to Bitcoin?
0: So the first one we did, we actually did at Robin Underground kind of as a test in February, and we're planning to do more this summer. The first one, we didn't actually have any businesses come out and set up any boots, but we did have businesses come out and check out what was going on and see, you know, if they want to do this in the future. And it was mostly just businesses that um, that already accept Bitcoin. So, so yeah. But uh, in the future, I think what we're going to do is pretty much just invite businesses that already are set up with Bitcoin so they can set up a booth and tell people, yeah, come out to my business. I accept Bitcoin. We're pro-Bitcoin. And hopefully other businesses see what's going on and they want to get in on the action.
1: Man, that sounds like so much fun. You know, if we had one here, it would be like one guy sitting on the street corner with an umbrella or something. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. it's, a, it's a difference between, you know, the tech going on in Nashville and this region and the tech going on there in San Francisco, West Coast and all that exciting stuff, man.
2: What was the attendance hey. like there at the Bitcoin fair?
0: It was really good. Um, we had over 300 people. We really only expected like a little over 100 people to show up and then, you know, over 300 people came. Uh, KTVU, uh, the local TV station, came out. We had a, a TV station from um, Japan called Sinovision. Hmm. It was really cool. We just had a really good turnout and a lot of awesome people there. And the response was really overwhelming. We expect to do another one during the summer and probably well over 1,000 people on the next one. Wow.
2: Right on. That's very cool. So you've got a a real burgeoning Bitcoin community there. Now, the other app that you're running, that you're a co-founder of, QuickCoin, that's all about getting Bitcoin to people that might not already be in the Bitcoin community, as well as ones that are, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So uh, I met Nathan Lands, my partner, last year, and we just hit it off right away. And we recognize... That there just really was no good software that people want to use, that normal people want to use. There's plenty of great software for developers and for Bitcoin people if you're savvy to use it. But there's nothing that looks like friendly that doesn't look intimidating. And so that was our goal was to create something that anyone can use. You could send Bitcoins to your grandmother or send Bitcoins to, you know, uh, somebody that doesn't know anything about computers and they're like, OK, this I can do this. I don't even have to know that I'm using Bitcoin to, to use this app.
1: So Lidge pulled it up earlier on his big screen here, and we were looking at it. It looks great. Uh, my question is, like Coinbase has an option where you can now send Bitcoin to people's email addresses. And I've done that with several people, several family members. And if they don't accept the Bitcoin and go and open up a Coinbase wallet, it comes back to you. Is that the same thing with you all? If I send somebody some Bitcoin by way of Facebook and they don't have any interest or they neglected over a certain period of time, does it come back to me?
2: Yeah, I had that same problem on Coinbase as well, sending it to my brother. And, and I think maybe it bounced back to me in the email. Yeah, it's crazy. What's wrong with these people?
0: Yeah, right? Why don't they want free money? I'm telling you. With our service, we don't have that feature implemented yet, but we're going to retroactively implement it um, over the next couple of weeks. And so anybody that sent money out that wasn't touched after 14 days after we implement this feature, it will revert back.
2: Okay, cool. Well, so explain to us how this works. So, I mean, how does one easily send Bitcoin to somebody else on Facebook, right?
0: It's super easy. We could actually do it live on the air if you want. And if your listeners want, they can add me on Facebook, Marshall Hainer. And I'll send them a few bucks on QuickCoin. But add me right now on QuickCoin and I'll send you a few dollars.
2: Okay, that sounds great. We'll do it. Stand by.
0: Yeah, so
1: we want you to send some Bitcoin to us. I mean, actually, if if there's no way you could just send it to me
0: and not send it to Lidge, (laughs) that'd be great. (laughs) All right, I'll blacklist him. He's already blocked.
1: Oh, he blocked him? Good, good, good. Yeah, just send it to me. Let's see, Marshall Hayner.
2: Dude, I'm going to have to friend you on Facebook first. Right?
0: Yeah, and we have a feature coming out too where you don't have to um, necessarily friend someone to send money to them. And you don't have to ask them for their information either. So. I see.
2: Wow, that's so cool. So you can send money to your enemies?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you, if you want to donate to your enemies or if you want to pay someone, you don't necessarily want to add them in your social network. I mean, it definitely happens.
1: Nice. This is going to change the world. I can feel it, man.
2: Yeah, that is, that is revolutionary.
1: Actually, really, you know, people are talking about Bitcoin. They're saying, look, people are going to start using Bitcoin regularly when they don't know they're using Bitcoin, right? Just like using the internet, nobody wants to be thinking about using TCP IP, right? You know, you just want to yeah. use the internet. You just want to log in easily. You want to send an email. No one wants to think about the protocol, right? And the same thing with Bitcoin. People don't want to think about the protocol, all the science and cryptography. They just want to send some Bitcoin, receive some Bitcoin and enjoy it, right?
0: Exactly, yeah. And, and that's, you know, for us, we realized that that was, really the, the big problem with Bitcoin was that you know you don't have to know how it works to use it. The software the way it's built now, you know, everybody's passing around these 36 character public strings that it look extremely intimidating if you don't know what you're looking at. Oh yeah. And I don't think I don't think you have to to know what that is to, to use it. So That's where we realize that users, they don't have to ever see that information. And that's where Bitcoin will really succeed.
1: I agree. And, you know, those 36 characters still make me nervous because, you know, what if in copying and pasting it somewhere, you miss one, you miss the last one. You know what I mean? It it still makes me nervous.
0: Exactly. So, Elijah, you'll see that I just sent you 20 bucks right now over Facebook. You'll have (laughs) a little message pop up.
1: 20 bucks. You I know said, this is pretty exciting. You said so, Lidge, 20 bucks. What'd I
2: get? Yeah, I mean, you were standing <laughs> at the microphone, you know, like going on and on. So, oh, you know. he's
1: over at the control panel, and you guys are doing this 20-buck thing under my nose. All right, so let me oh, explain yeah. to our oh, listeners man. what just happened. So I oh, just I, went I over think to- I think I can explain to the listeners what just happened. I think it's pretty <laughs> obvious. I think it's pretty obvious, fellas. Okay, go ahead.
2: <laughs> All right, so I just went over to Facebook, and I found you, Marshall, and I friended you or sent you a friend request. And then uh, you accepted that. Sent me a message that you had sent some quick coin. And I went over to the QuickCoin social site. So I guess I got to this page by going to QuickCoin first and then clicking on Social Wallet. And it just shows me a whole list of all my friends and a search window that I can find friends and I can send money to them. And at the top is my balance. And it just popped up. It says $20, which is nice. the equivalent. Is that 32,919 bits? Is that right?
0: That's correct. Yeah.
2: Okay, wow. And so and a bit equals what? How do you come up with the term bit?
0: So 100 bits is is approximately five cents. A bit is six decimal places over from the Bitcoin mark, so it's point zero 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 one. Essentially, it's kind of confusing the way it is because people don't understand. They they tend to think if you're not involved in Bitcoin, you see the price at you know six hundred dollars and say, oh, well, I can't afford a Bitcoin. That's that's too much. Like I don't, I'm not going to willing to put six hundred dollars in, or I don't necessarily want to buy that much. But the reality is, you can have one dollar of Bitcoin or even a fraction of a penny in Bitcoin. You don't have to have all this Bitcoin. So we were really inspired by the the Dogecoin phenomenon where people, you know, you get a coin and it's worth like nothing. So, you know, a penny is a is hundred coins or something like that in Dogecoin. It's, it's really exciting to get to say, oh yeah, I just sent you 250,000 coins and that's <laughs> like 20 bucks or something, right?
1: So help me out here. What's the difference between a bit and a millibit?
0: So there's micro BTC and there's millibit coins. Essentially they're just different units of measurements. Right. Um, so a milli
1: bitcoin is 1/1000th one one of a bitcoin, right? Right, exactly. Huh. And um
2: and a bit is a is it am I doing the math right? It's a hundred Satoshis?
0: Yes, that's right. All right.
1: I see. Now I thought though that people were starting to use millibits as the new way to talk about it, the new way to refer to Bitcoin in millibits.
0: Yeah, you know, I I I, I there's been a so I've been involved since the very beginning of Bitcoin before we really talked even about millibits or micro bitcoins, when the price of one Bitcoin was a millibitcoin essentially, to in today's terms. If you tell someone you know, I just sent you so many millibits or micro BTC. You've like really, really lost them. Because yeah. it's like I'm still struggling with the term of wait, what is BTC? Is that Bitcoin? And then it's it's millibitcoin? You know, the term hmm. bits just sounds a lot friendlier and sounds like something that people could kind of get to get to use more. It's a shorter the word itself is much shorter and just seems a lot friendlier. So that's something we were trying to strive for, is just to make it easier sounding.
2: Absolutely. Now, do you imagine that a bit stays at that amount, always 100 Satoshis, or do you think bit might adjust so that it always reflects sort of what's a very usable denomination?
0: We might change that term over time, but I think that for now, we, we're kind of sticking with that 100 Satoshis for a bit, essentially. Try to stick with something that just kind of works for people. You know, when you say I send you 100 bits and that's five cents or 20 bits is a penny, I think that that really works for people. And
1: So a bit is 100 Satoshis? Is that right? Yes, I wouldn't think that that could ever change uh, once you yeah, es- once you establish that one bit is 100 satoshis
0: yeah why should it change I don't really see any reason anytime soon so
1: right okay
0: cool, I just wanted cool. to make sure our listeners understood
1: that yeah
2: you guys can beat me up about that that's okay
1: okay good good
2: fair good. question <laughs> so this is pretty exciting and, and Marshall I have to say thank you on the show yeah. here for, for sending us 30 I'm now a 32,000
0: bit owner <laughs> yeah. of bits and that's, that's, right, that's pretty yeah. exciting
1: yeah thanks Marshall for showing us how to do
0: that We look forward to the day of bits of dollar. I'm sure it's probably not too far away.
2: Okay, so now I have a balance here in my QuickCoin wallet on the Facebook network. And what do I do with it? I can send it to some other people. I could leave it there or I take it off. And uh, where is it right
0: now? So right now it's on the blockchain, essentially. It's just sitting there. And you can see there's a little button that says upgrade your security. And basically we want to try to get users to change their behavior, the way that they work with Bitcoin. In the past, you know, you have people that have... You know, all their money is on a hosted wallet, on a web wallet. They withdraw like little tiny chunks. But in reality, the way that it should be is you should keep your spending amounts on a wallet, or like what we do in real life, we keep some money in a wallet, you know, in our back pocket, but we don't put like, you know, $20,000 in that wallet or something. We put, you know, 200 max, right? Right. So you'll keep like a couple hundred bucks or a hundred bucks or something. You don't carry your life savings in your back pocket. And so that's the idea behind this wallet is that you put, you know, what you want to spend and what you want to send around in that wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of your money, in my opinion, and the best security practice is to put it into a cold wallet or into a paper wallet, which is basically just printing out a piece of paper with the public and a private key and sending the money into that and keeping that piece of paper in your safety deposit box or somewhere safe. Maybe you keep two copies of it just in case. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the social wallet is essentially just a really easy way to send and receive money. And and when you upgrade your security, basically the wallet becomes a deterministic wallet. And what that means is we lose access to the funds. So when you add these three passwords to your QuickCoin wallet, it basically makes, it, it makes those three words become like the money. So you have to write those down. And the same way I'm telling you to print out a paper wallet, with a QuickCoin wallet, we also want users to write down their three words and keep it in their wallet. And that's kind of like the cash in their wallet.
1: Right. But where does that Bitcoin stay still? So they've got that added security, but where is the Bitcoin? Is it on the blockchain?
0: It's on the blockchain, yeah. Oh, and good. So, okay. so when you log into our wallet and you enter your three passwords, it takes your Facebook user ID plus those three passwords that you entered and an encrypted hash that we generate for you and keep on our side, mm-hmm. adds those two pieces of information together and compiles everything client-side. So when you're not logged into your QuickCoin wallet, it's basically a cold wallet. It's not really hackable. There's no way that someone could enter our servers and take that information and take your money. It's impossible.
1: Wow, that's great. That is very cool. Well done. Yeah, well done. So how it, would you recommend that somebody use your site? You said, you know, don't put all of your life savings there, but what if somebody did want to keep a large amount of Bitcoin? According to what you just said, it would be pretty safe there.
0: Yeah, it would be safe. We discourage it just because as like as far as Bitcoin practices go, what I've seen through the years, the safest and best way is to have a cold wallet. But if somebody did put like their life savings, savings on there, something like that, there's no way we could necessarily stop them. We might warn them, see that it comes in and warn them and say, hey, that's probably too much. But uh, you know, to each their own. And um, you know, I can't tell anyone how much they keep in their personal wallet. I can just kind of say what I think the best practices are for security. And so it's really funny, like when Mt. Gox went down, I think it was Mark Carpella said something about the cold wallet leaked and the cold wallet was leaking, which is really funny because anybody that's in the industry knows that a cold wallet doesn't leak. It's, uh, it's impossible. We,
1: we know, we know Carpelles has some leaks, but I think there's a different kind of leaking going on with that guy.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's pretty cool. You know, and
2: I think everybody has a different idea about you know, if you were going to go out to a social party or an event, what you would carry in your wallet. Everybody's got their own personal version of that, and it's the same thing would apply here.
1: Oh, yeah. For me, for instance, I never go to a party without like four or five grand in my wallet. I'm joking, people. I'm joking. Don't anybody knock me over the head. I'm joking. I got like 20 bucks tops.
2: I usually just take a case of Cristal with me. What is Cristal? I don't know, but it's on all the hip hop songs.
0: I'll kill you. Some fancy champagne, right?
2: Oh, wow. Well.
1: Case of yeah. style. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So um, should we talk about like walking someone through this? Someone who's maybe brand new to Bitcoin and they're hearing our show for the first time. And they're Yeah. Like,
2: let's, let's explain it to a grandmother. Explain it to a grandmother. <laughs> so, who, John, yeah. would you like to be the grandmother? I'll be the grandmother. So hey, tell me about this, would you? Um, so. Mar- Marshall, <laughs> I'd like to introduce you to my grandmother, Jeanette. Um, Would you please explain to Jeanette how to use this uh, QuickCoin app and social media? She does understand Facebook, believe it or not.
1: Oh, Marshall, it's so nice to meet you. I do have a Facebook account.
0: (laughs) Pleasure to meet you, Jeanette. Uh, So, (laughs) Jeanette, you can just add uh, Elijah or myself, Marshall Hayner on Facebook, and you're going to get a message on your Facebook wall and also in your Facebook messages. It's going to say, you just got some Bitcoin. All you have to do is click that link. And once you click that link, it's going to ask you for Facebook permission. You hit OK and you're in and you've got Bitcoin. Who,
1: who's Elijah? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean Lynch? OK. <laughs>
2: it's going to be all right, Grandma. We'll get this figured out. I'll help you out. We're going to make
1: it through, <laughs> Granny. We're going to help you make it through. Yeah, that was great, man. That is so easy. That's unbelievable.
0: Thanks. Yeah, I mean that—that that was the idea behind the wallet. Was just that you know, if you log into some of the and there, there there's great services out there like blockchain and stuff. But you log in and it's like. Now just write down these 18 words and never lose them. And also, by the way, your username is like C6A13. Okay. like I think you lost me.
1: Hey, I love blockchain, but even just going there for the very first time, it took me a while to navigate the site itself. Like, okay, where do I go up to the top? And those five options down to the left and those options, there are things on there that if you land there and you have no experience with Bitcoin, you will have absolutely no clue where to go. You even have to kind of dig in a little bit more and have a little bit deeper understanding to find out how to set up your second factor authentication. It's not really um, that user-friendly, but I think blockchain is going to become probably just as, as user-friendly as yours over time. I really do. I'm
0: sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they're looking at what we're doing and they're thinking about it. <laughs> you know, But um, I think that blockchain is a great service. I really like all the guys at blockchain and they offer a great service for users that are already really advanced and know what they're doing. If you're a beginner It's definitely intimidating. If you try to log on to Coinbase or Blockchain or any of these services, it's a little bit much to take in.
2: Sure. And then just to let our listeners know, if you wanted to log into QuickCoin, it was as easy as going to the QuickCoin site and just saying, Log in with Facebook, that button that we all know so well and are so familiar with. So you don't even have to remember the password. And then once you're in, then you have the opportunity to create your own three-word password to protect your
0: wallet. Yeah, exactly. Just three words. And we thought that was a lot easier than, say, 18 or you know, twenty words or twelve words or something. It's it's a lot easier for someone to come up with three words and write that down and less likely that they'll lose that.
2: Sure. So and again, it, it may not be as secure as a blockchain or a Coinbase two-factor authentication, but certainly it's a secure enough to just take your money out to a party for the weekend.
0: The other thing is we are adding two factor authentication a lot of security features, but we're really thinking about the way that we do it because people aren't necessarily going to jump on board with the two-factor train if they haven't done that before. And so everything we do, we think about – and we really, really try to custom tailor the user experience for just simplicity.
1: Yeah, I remember when I first heard the phrase two-factor authentication, I just had no idea what that even meant. So it took me a while to get on board just understanding it. Now it's you know second nature to me, but it seems like your site is easier to navigate or to set up an account than Facebook or Yahoo or Gmail or anything like that. This seems just super easy. My only concern would be from a hacker's perspective. Sure. Any hacker listening to the show, they're thinking, ah, <laughs> I can really hack this site. This is going to be child's play based on what I've hacked before. What do you think about that?
0: I'm not bothered about it at all. When you said earlier, like, a blockchain has better security, not really true. I guess maybe if you're using two-factor, which we haven't implemented uh, that feature yet, but that is coming soon. We actually operate on the same mechanism that blockchain.info operates with, which is basically a deterministic client, which means everything's done in your browser. So if a hacker is trying to get in, they're not going to succeed at getting anything from our side, even if they could get in from our side. Now, if they could get in from your side, like, i.e., give you a virus or something, that would be more likely that they could try and break into your side. But we're aware about all the phishing and malware and everything that's going on, and we're basically building amazing ways around that where... It just makes it so impossibly hard for a hacker that they're just going to move on and go to something else.
1: I know somebody out there listening is going to ask the question, why did you guys not start from day one with second-factor authentication?
0: Um, Because, so, if you're logging in, um, it would kind of defeat the purpose of what we're trying to do, which is trying to keep things simple. We are adding that, that feature, but we're trying to come up with a creative way of implementing it where it's not, like, right out in front of the user's face where they see this word the scary word, two-factor authentication. The reality is that most people, something like probably like 80% or more of people using Bitcoin, using this wallet, will never use the two-factor authentication, Um, like programs like Authy and that kind of thing. Two-factor authentication through SMS or email is a lot likelier that someone who's not tech savvy will use that. So we're kind of going to try to go after that first.
2: Right. I think in the end, two-factor authentication pretty much implies you're the only person who has the only version of that cell phone in your hand, and that's your second factor. If you have the right phone, then you can enter what you need to enter so that you can log on.
1: Right. Or it can be sent by way of email. It just seems to me that for people who are familiar with it and who want to use this, that I know there are a lot of people who are really going to shy away if that second factor authentication isn't there to start with. For new users that don't know it, well, you know, what you don't know isn't going to hurt you, I suppose, unless you put a lot of Bitcoin into a wallet and you don't have that and you do Get hacked and you lose a bunch of money, a bunch of Bitcoin.
0: It really comes down to trust and to the people building the products. I feel that the Bitcoin community knows who we are. And as we grow bigger and we do more stuff, uh, especially after we add two factor, I think that people in the community will get more and more comfortable with what we're doing and the product that we're building. And, uh, you know, people that are advanced with Bitcoin, they'll put in a small amount and tip to people that don't otherwise have Bitcoin. And the people who are just getting started with Bitcoin, those are the guys receiving Bitcoin from. the the people that are advanced and already have it. You know, 20 bucks, I'm not really afraid of putting 20 bucks into my wallet. And you shouldn't have to be with QuickCoin. Our security is top-notch. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Well, so this is pretty exciting. I think this might be a huge game-changer in the Bitcoin world. Do you know, what is the user base of Facebook? How many people can you reach through this?
0: Over a billion people. And that was really the the real (laughs) impetus for us to, to go with Facebook, was that we knew that there's over a billion users on Facebook, and if there's a good way to reach out to people... It's through Facebook. You know, people share stuff. They like stuff all the time. If every time you were liking something, you were giving a penny, how awesome would that be?
2: Now we're talking. Yeah,
1: yeah. Have you guys gotten any uh, kudos or any personal messages from uh, Zuckerberg saying, good yeah. job, guys. Job well done?
2: <laughs> I was going to ask if you sent any Bitcoin yet to Mark Zuckerberg or the Winklevoss twins.
0: Oh, yeah. If he's listening right now or the Winklevoss are listening, go ahead and add me, Marshall Hainer, and I'll blast you with some bits.
1: Just me give a shout out to Mark Zuckerberg if you're listening. Buenos dias, amigo. <laughs>
0: yeah I, i we haven't heard we haven't heard anything from facebook yet um but uh I, I, they haven't blocked us yet. so
2: <laughs> It's a great uh, addition, I think. I think it's pretty fantastic. So I want to ask you another question about this. I know there are all these Facebook apps out there. There are games, FarmVille, all these other ones. I personally don't use them that much, but I know many, many people do. And I believe there's an opportunity to purchase add-ons and other services through this. And I'm wondering, do you see a market using Quickcoin where you can do digital delivery of stuff and pay for it in quickcoin that might be a next step for this
0: Well absolutely and you're hitting the nail on the head um, There's some things I can't go into too much detail yet because uh, we're about to launch and do some of these things but you're definitely hitting the nail on the head I mean that's what we're trying to do and uh, our CEO Nathan lands he comes from the virtual currency and from the video game space so he made his money when he was 15 selling digital swords online <laughs> on like EverQuest wow. and oh,
3: yeah. all
0: these things. So he really understands that and I also really understand that. And uh yeah, we're totally going after that. You know, you imagine in the future when you're logged into your QuickCoin account, it pretty much powers the internet. Everything you do from liking something for a penny to receiving little likes for content that you post buying in-game items for video games, for TV, for movies, music, content, it's gotten really stagnant the way that, you know, we charge for movies and music. You know, the 99 cents model, in my opinion, is a dying model, and we're going to change the way that works. I like it, man. Let's yeah. bring it down to the 10 cent model, right? Yeah, why not? What is it worth, period? You know, you put something up on SoundCloud, and if I really, really like this song, well, hey, I'll, I'll give you $10 for one song, or maybe the song's only worth a penny. I don't know.
1: Right. Let's make it so people have all those options, right?
0: Sure, exactly. And, you know, you imagine when you're logging into, you know, you're at the airport and you want to use some Wi-Fi, for example, and it's like, now just give me your email and Take your credit card out of your back pocket and sign up and then confirm that you have an account to this email address and then pay me nine ninety nine. You can get on the internet for two hours before you catch your flight or something. Or you're already logged into your QuickCoin account. One click, 99 cents. I'm online for two hours. I don't even have to think about it.
1: Sweet. I love it, man. That's yeah, great. that's
2: very cool. How about free Wi-Fi? I always like that the best. I, oh, I like yeah, that, too. Man. Yeah, I think
0: that's
1: a great idea. <laughs> no, you bring up some great points, man. That was some great stuff.
2: Yeah, well, Marshall, this is really exciting. I definitely see this as a potential game changer in the world of Bitcoin. And I'm really excited to have learned more about the Bitcoin fair that you guys started. So thank you so much for joining us today on Bitcoins and Gravy. Yeah.
1: You know what? Maybe you could help us figure out how to have a Bitcoin fair here, even if it's just that one guy on the corner
0: with an umbrella or something. I would love to. I'd love to come out to Nashville. I've never been, so... So sounds great.
2: Well, so tell our listeners how they can find you guys and find out more about the Bitcoin Fair and QuickCoin and get to start using it.
0: Yeah. So um, for everybody listening, just come out to QuickCoin.co or go to bitcoinfair.org, add me on Facebook, Marshall Hainer, and I'll send you some bits. Check out the wallet. It's awesome. It's really fun. And I know you guys will love it.
1: You guys heard it. Marshall Hainer will send you some bits if you go to Marshall Hainer, right? Yeah. Right, right. on.
2: You heard that, Mark Zuckerberg and the Winklevoss twins. That's the right. Winkle... <laughs> so let me say that I think again. it's Winklevoss, gonna... right? It's The Wink, yeah, tell me, please correct me. The Winklevi twins. No,
1: gentlemen, I believe it's (laughs) Winklevass. Sorry about that. Sorry you had to hear that. Hey, thanks so much for being on the
0: show, man. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Cheers.
2: Marshall, we look forward to speaking to you again down the road.
0: I look forward to the Nashville Bitcoin Fair. I'll see you guys there.
2: Thank you to our guests on today's show, John Southurst of Coindesk for staying up so extra late to join us, and Marshall Hayner of QuickCoin. To find out more about our guests and sponsors, visit our show notes at bitcoinsandgravy.com episode 19. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We greatly appreciate your time and attention. If you like the show, please remember to go to iTunes and leave us a review. Also, hit the subscribe button if you'd like to hear from Bitcoins and Gravy each week. And remember the Bitcoins and Gravy
1: Hotline. Have you ever wanted to be a podcaster? Then call us at 615-208-5198 and leave us a message with your comments, questions, or complaints. This is your opportunity to tell us what you think. If you give us permission, we will put you on the show. So call the Bitcoins and Gravy Hotline at 615 615- 208 That's right. That's the Bitcoins and Gravy Hotline. And of course, we offer a number of ways for you to download all of our past podcasts. You can go to Let's Talk or directly from iTunes, or you can go to our website, Bitcoins If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and leave a review or comment on iTunes or SoundCloud. Let us know what you like or where we can
2: improve. And remember, it's your reviews and comments that help new listeners discover Bitcoins and Gravy, plus all the other great shows on the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast network. And we thank you for your generous tips and donations. I'm John Barrett. And I'm Lyd Shaw. And you've been listening to Bitcoins and Gravy from East Nashville,
1: Tennessee.